Hi, this is Anishka Fernandopoli. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button under my picture on dharmaseed.org or go to my website, anushkaf.org, A-N-U-S-H-K-A-F.org, and click on donate. Thanks. I appreciate your support. Well, uh, yeah, I think this bell was the bell that was given to Howie for his birthday last year. I was at his very nice birthday party that you had for him. Um, for his 50th, I think it was 60th, 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 yeah. Um, so it's nice to be back here. And um, I'm also in the Teacher's Council at Spirit Rock with Howie and a uh, longtime practitioner and have uh, done a bit of Dharma study, practiced in Buddhist monasteries, um, practiced in daily life a lot, um, and uh, teach Dharma is one of the main things that I do. I still have some remnants of my um, former mainline career of coaching and um, consulting stuff going on. But mostly I teach Dharma. Uh, and I have a group in, uh, that meets on Monday nights in the, at CIS now called Monday Night Dharma. And uh, so all of you are welcome to come if you want to add another night of Dharma to your life. It meets um, like 7 to about 8.45 there. And in that uh, group, we're talking about Nibbana this, this fall as our theme, uh, awakening, what that means. So, you know, there's a lot of different Dharma teachings and Dharma study and lists of different things, but sometimes it's good to keep it very simple. So today I want to share with you a possible helpful, simple formula for practice uh, for your contemplation and actually for you to put into uh, action in some ways now and when you leave here. So some of you will probably be familiar with the Satipatthana Sutta. So this is the Sutta of the Foundations of Mindfulness. And it's the main sutta and the main teaching uh, of the Buddha in this uh, tradition, like this insight meditation, Theravada Buddhist tradition, from which Vipassana meditation comes. And it describes all these different aspects of uh, life to pay attention to. So the body, uh, the mind, the aspect of feeling tone, pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral, uh, and then uh, dharmas, also sort of these different categories of, of uh, dharmas that are there. And I had the, the benefit of um, practicing and teaching with a, a very uh, scholarly monk named Venerable Analayo, who's written some books about the Satipatthana Sutta. He's done a lot of study and so on. He's a German monk. And his uh, the pithy uh, thing that I would like to transmit to you is the summary of all of this great study, and I recommend you read his books and everything, but uh, it's just to keep in mind these four words, right, four-word teaching for you here. So this is good for our modern era, you know, where people aren't going to read, like, long suttas maybe, but you can tweet this, it's so short, you know, it's going to be less than 140 characters, right? Uh, So keep calmly knowing change. So that's the summary teaching, keep calmly knowing change. It even has good initials, KC, KC. Right. So you could remember it. Right. So let's talk a little bit about what this um, what this means. Just dive into this a little bit more. So uh, first word, very simple, keep. So this actually has to do, I think, with the continuity of our efforts, continuity of our practice. Uh, so to do this as continuously as you can. So to stay interested, to stay engaged with um, practice, and particularly with the awareness practice. So, you know, if, with uh, the rise of mindfulness as a big thing, uh, sometimes it's kind of distilled down in a way to just like pay attention 
just to this, what's happening now, so you can taste your tea better or, you know, something like that. But actually the, the power comes from when you can notice actually change, you know, change itself. When you can notice selflessness, you know, when you can notice insubstantialness. So actually the addition of shifting the lens of perception that we have, seeing through our misperception, is really where the power comes for liberation. And that comes from continuity too. So, so keep on doing it, you know, conti- the continuity. So I've talked in other times when I've come here about uh, you know, different ways to do this. And, and really, the, I think our, our aim as lay people who are practitioners who don't spend all our time in retreat is really to find different ways to make your life your practice. You know? And you can be as creative as you can in doing that, but find different ways to not have this big separation between kind of your spiritual life which happens when you're on this cushion for 30 minutes, maybe 45 minutes, maybe not that often, <laughs> right? Uh, and then the rest of your life. So actually to, to bring that in, to, to allow there to be this um, permeation of uh, your practice, your spirituality, you could say, your awareness, um, throughout your day, throughout all of the most mundane of activities, of shopping, of riding the bus, of going to the gym, of doing your work, of talking to someone, you know, just as much as possible. And for me, I remember when I started practice, this was something that I really yearned for. I really yearned for that. Uh, I, I had read a lot of Dharma teachings, like Buddhist, uh, you know, Zen stuff and different things. I was really into it, but I didn't really know how to do it. I didn't know how to make that be my life in some ways. And I was studying anthropology and religion. So then I went off to different places, and then I was like, okay, now I'm watching other people do this. So that's different than actually, you know, living that. Like, now I'm watching and writing about it. And <laughs> that's not, I'm close to it, but not, it's not as satisfying as, like, actually knowing how to do that, right? Making that your practice. So that's the encouragement with, I think, that, that word, that part of the phrase, keep, is this, this continuity that we have. And a word that um, didn't make it into this four-word phrase, but it's there in the Satipatthana a lot, is about practicing with ardency. So I like that word also, ardency. You know, it's like, it's actually like with love, you know, with some like passion, some interest, some engagement. So the, the, it's not something that we usually think about as connected to meditation or to awareness, but what would that be like if we connected with ardency to our life, you know, to our practice? To what's happening. So the, the last piece that I said when we, before ringing the bell, you know, is the last few minutes of the sitting, and what would it be like if uh, we paid attention as if this was the last few minutes of our life in this body, you know? This is the last connection that you had to experience through this vehicle that you have uh, been connected with for so long, right? So, you know, it's kind of an intense thing to say, but it's, a, it's a, also an important part of the Dharma is recognizing, you know, we don't know how long our life is. And usually, you can kind of see when you look at it, oh, we have this assumption it's going to go on for a certain amount of time. You know, the assumption that it's going to go on for like 80 minus my current age or something like that. Right? Uh, but is that really true? Like, we don't actually know that it's true. You know, we don't know whether that's true. And it's a, it's a mystery, really, about life, is how long, how long do we have to live? Like, what, how long is life going to last? My, uh, my grandma died recently, uh, who was, uh, lived to 92. So that was a pretty good, good long life. And uh, I was close to her, so it was a sad thing for me, even though she died and, you know, we knew that was coming and so on. And, 
Actually, she was suffering a lot towards the end of her life, and um, she said that she wanted to die, too. Uh, but even if you want to die, sometimes you don't die, you know? Like, she actually had said that she wanted to die for some time before she died, but then she wasn't dying, you know? Uh, and then it happens the other side. You know, people, like, don't want to die, and then they die, right? So it's like, oh, the mystery of this, you know, the, of life and uh, uh, through awareness, we can have some connection to this, so through the continuity. So even in this, in this way, like, you, know, you can hear that I've been sick, and I told you that you know, it's actually a good thing that I have this sort of restraining order kind of situation here. Um, this time, uh, I was kind of flat out on the sofa this weekend and um, had very little energy. I'm just a head cold, so, you know, but bad head cold, which I'm sure many of you most of you have experienced, right, as part of our human condition here. So you can probably relate to this feeling like I had, like, no energy. You know, I just felt like I couldn't do anything, just lying on the sofa there. And these thoughts would arise of things that I thought I could do or I should do, you know, very simple things, like move that from there to there, you know. <laughs> and uh, it'd be like, uh, <laughs> just like, uh, like, no, no energy for that. And it was interesting to notice the thoughts would come back around again, you know, because I'd see the thing again that's out of place and be like, oh, I shouldn't move. And then after a while, the thoughts would not even get to complete. It would just be like, I should, uh. <laughs> you know? It's like that level of just complete, like, tiredness, no energy, right? Uh, so I noticed what that's like. I mean, really, it's not so pleasant, but it's another state of being, and it's part of the human condition. So then, like, what is practice like then? So I was like, all right, this is what it's like to have no energy. This is what it's like to be completely flat out. Now, fortunately, I remember a time when I used to, when I was sick, always get into some little drama about it, like this is going to last forever, and, you know, I struggle with it a lot. But uh, fortunately, I started to notice those thoughts going on, and uh, after I noticed them time and time again, they've started to appear less uh, frequently. So then I could sort of just be with this level of energy. It wasn't what I would have wished for, you know, but there it was. And then as the energy started to come back, it also was interesting to notice what that's like, you know, as the energy starts to return to the system a little bit. And it's, it is kind of a mystery. I mean, yeah, there's some things that you do, like drink liquids and rest and take vitamins or whatever, but uh, it's really not under my control. There's no me doing that, you know. So it's kind of a miraculous, interesting thing, even something as simple as having a cold and starting to get over it, <laughs> you know, if you actually tune in and kind of follow the thread of, of what that's like. It's like the life force is mysterious and uh, kind of amazing. So that's the bright side of congestion, you know, at least. You can <laughs> so keep, so then the next word in that phrase, keep calmly knowing change, calmly. So this has to do with the quality of equanimity, I think. Uh, you know, it could be relating to tranquility, which is another of the uh, factors of enlightenment, but, but particularly equanimity is an important base for us in our practice. So this is the ability to be there, to be with whatever it is that's there, whether it's difficult, whether it's easy, uh, and still to be practicing knowing of that. And equanimity is really a very mature quality, I think. It's a very mature uh, mental slash heart capacity. It's there in many of the different sort of Buddhist lists of development. Uh, and, and it's in the Brahma Viharas, it's in the Factors of Enlightenment, in the Paramis. But 
And I think it's one of the, the more mature qualities for us as human beings to develop. So you can think about if you know people who have this quality of equanimity, sort of balance. You know. uh, the opposite is people who get freaked out by everything you know, right, that comes along. Uh, and it's not even about being non-demonstrative. It's more about not being knocked off balance by things. So you can be excited about things. You could have like, you know, you could you could be different levels of volume, but it's like, okay, are you fundamentally knocked off balance by this thing? So the calmly also one of the you know the near enemies of equanimity is the quality of indifference. So it's not indifference that is what we're going for. It's actually being connected very intimately to what is happening. That's the quality of equanimity, and still being able to hold this balance, seeing things as they are. So keep calmly the knowing. So the knowing is uh, this quality of awareness. So awareness uh, with this mindfulness. So an openness to experience. And it can be interesting to notice, well, what's the difference between consciousness and awareness? You know, what's the difference between those? What is the difference between knowing something and just and living through it? So there's a very slight difference in some ways, but it's helpful to explore that. You know, for example, even very very simply, you could say, okay, so there's right now I'm I'm feeling I'm I'm, I'm sitting here I'm I'm conscious, but then when you can tune in with awareness to, for example, just what it feels like to have your contact with the chair or the cushion, then you're knowing that. Right? There's awareness. There's a little intelligence there. So everyone walking around all the time, unless they're conked on the head, is conscious versus unconscious. But we're not always aware. So we're not always knowing in that way. And it doesn't take that much effort. It doesn't take that much effort at all. It's just remembering that, really. Right? Remembering uh, to tune in and cultivating the habit of that. So keep calmly knowing, so bringing the awareness. And awareness can be wide-angle sometimes, and sometimes it can be kind of narrow-focused. So it's helpful to play with that too, particularly as you try and adapt this to your regular life. It doesn't have to be like laser-like all the time. In fact, it doesn't have to be that, it, it like that, that much of the time. Sometimes there's a knowing that can be like a wide gaze, like a wide kaleidoscopic knowing. It's possible to have that. And sometimes there can be a very minute kind of microscopic knowing of like what it's like in the foot right now, or what it's like in the mouth, or what a sound or a smell is like. So it's possible to shift like that. And it's, it's helpful to notice, like, oh, both of those are possible. That's both, both can be a ways of knowing with different levels of collectedness, concentration, focus in some ways. And then change, the key one there. Uh, change anicca impermanence. So this is that uh, there is change is one of the characteristics of everything that we experience through the sense doors, through seeing, smelling, tasting, touching, hearing, and through the mind thought. So recognizing that everything that comes through our experience is actually in flux in this way. So noticing where we get snagged on that. You know, where we get snagged on that, like we don't actually see that something is impermanent. Sometimes we can notice that in our disappointment from how something presents itself and then uh, 
we get upset when it seems to be ending. Sometimes we can notice that in our um, attachment to things, or uh, even if we know about impermanence intellectually, and we're reflecting on it in some way that suggests we think we have control over it, that also can be some uh, misunderstanding of it too. So noticing this change, and there's some poignancy in that noticing of the change too. You know, there's a, like a poignancy that we don't always notice until big endings, you know, like deaths or something like that. But it's there all the time. You know, it's there all the time to notice the shift of how each of us are growing and changing, how the seasons are growing and changing, you know, how the light is changing. So the more that we can align ourselves, see and register, like that we're all part of this shifting kaleidoscope of experience, then the more we can rest in some peacefulness with the truth of the way things are, which is really the Dharma. So keep calmly knowing change. That is my the, the short teaching for you uh, today. And you can consider how can I apply this? Like how can I remember this in my life? You know, are there are there times in which I'm not tuned into this that I could be? Other aspects of uh, life, or it could be kind of whole departments of life, or it could be certain times of the day when I'm more or less tuned into this factor. What would that mean if I actually did know that? You know, what would that mean if I actually practiced like this and lived like this? So keep calmly knowing change. So a short teaching today on that, but I'll offer that to you for your reflection. I'm happy to engage in some dialogue with you if you have any questions, comments. So the question is, can you elaborate a little bit about indifference? And um, in some situations, it seems like maybe it's better to be indifferent, you're saying, yeah? Uh, can you give an example of one of those situations? So they're saying he had a friend who was, uh, had liver cancer, and then they knew he was going to pass away. Uh, and he's saying it felt better to know that, sort of to recognize that, than uh, to not know it. Yeah. yeah, to me that wouldn't seem like indifference. Like actually indifference would be sort of to know it and not to, not to care actually, or to turn away from it. So when I'm saying indifference, that's what I'm referring to, is like a, a being distant from something, like... Uh, Kind of like whatever, you know. So not allowing yourself to, to know that. Uh, or if you do, to pretend that you don't care about it or something like that. You know. 
that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it's hard with things like that, you know, with, with death. It's like, uh, you know, what is our relationship to that? And we can notice also, even with, with this whole, you know, keep calmly known change, like notice the movement when it's really hard for us. Because something like that of like knowing a friend or loved one's going to die, we probably would move in between some sense of balance and then some sense of sometimes falling into grief or trying to push it away and ignore it and indifference and, you know, kind of wobbling as we go. So then, actually, we can keep calmly knowing that, you know, keep calmly knowing, like, oh, look, now there's grief. Like, oh, now there's ignoring it. Now there's binge ice cream eating. Now there's, uh, you know, it's like, okay, this is, this is what's going on here. You know, this is uh, like off balance in this way, in that way, and then, you know, try to work as best you can with, uh, with what there is. Yeah, to say more about some, so some, uh, some more about the word keep, that the other words seem more clear about what it was going for. Um, for me, it's, it's really the, the, the continuity part is really the, the piece that's helpful about that. I guess the, the continuity and the ardency are the two pieces. Like, so um, staying interested and engaged with it. Because some of the, the, the power from the practice really comes from continuity. You know, and that's really how you can see change, too, is from noticing, like, oh, it's like this now, it's like this now, it's like this now, you know. So there is some way in which us seeing those, and then that breaks through our usual perception of, like, it's always like this, right? Or I'm always like this, or this is exactly who I am all the time, you know. Uh, so anything, like, even our, you know, our idea, like, like, say you, you're going along and then you drop something and you're like, oh, I'm such a klutz. So in that moment, that may seem true, but then in the next moment, you know, sometime down the road, you do something very, like, dexterous, right? <laughs> so when you start to see, like, oh, it's like, oh, I'm really stupid. Oh, I'm very clever. Oh, I'm clumsy. Oh, I'm very uh, coordinated. Like, I'm great. And so it's like, oh, none of those are really true. You know, that's just in the moment. So it's the, the keeping on seeing and seeing through in that way really helps, I think. So it's really the, the continuity, I'd say both for the seeing the, the momentary nature, you know, and the shifts, because that's how you can see the impermanence. Um, but also in the continuity is where uh, I think we learn a lot, too. You know, like we learn through, you know, even the example I gave of like, like I totally remember how when I, I used to be sick, there always would be this thought that would occur, like, it's going to last forever, <laughs> you know. And particularly with like this like sinus thing, it was like, this is going to last forever. And then I would believe that thought, and then I'd be like more bummed out because of it. Right? It's totally unnecessary. And then uh, a servant, you know, it's a state of weakness. I can, you know, wasn't so uh, smart about it because, in reflection, I could see like, oh, actually, it's never lasted forever, even when I've thought that. Right? Uh, but it's only through you know catching it at the thought level, you know, starting to actually be interested in that pattern and seeing that come up, uh, that through that, that continuity, through that, um, that vigilance, really, you know, with that, they started to see through it. And then there was a while when it would arise, but I wouldn't believe in it, you know? That thought would arise, but I wouldn't believe in it. It's just like a sort of old echo. It's like, oh, this is going to last forever. It's like, yeah, yeah, you know. I wouldn't take that thought too seriously at all. And now, actually, this time it didn't arise at all. I mean, I don't know, maybe the next time it will, but, you know, this time that thought didn't arise at all. 
So, so consider in your life, like, are there different thoughts like that that are kind of repetitive, repetitive things that show up that you believe in that aren't actually true? You know? And it could be a thought of doubt, for example, you know, or something like that. It could be uh, some particular idea that we have about how things are that we believe in, and basically our investment in that uh, you know, leads us down the wrong path. You know, it's like delusion. It's, it's not seen clearly. So in that way, it's, it's really like the continuity, I think, really helps uh, to see through that. And um, yeah, with many things, particularly pertaining to time, I think it's really helpful. You know, I mean, maybe this is one of my particular delusions that come up. Like, I'm, I know getting onto like a long plane trip sometimes. And also, again, it's like, oh, this is going to be terrible. It's going to last forever. You know, stuck for like 16 hours in this plane. Right? And uh, I always make myself notice the end of the plane journey. You know, like I consciously make myself notice the end, like notice when it lands, notice getting out. It's sort of like dog ear, like, oh, remember that thought? Like, look, it did end, <laughs> you know. And so through that, it can sort of undercut our delusions, like our sort of common delusions that we have. Like, and it's, it's kind of like showing a child, like, look, there's no monsters under the bed. See, look, flashlight, no, you know, in some ways. But you have to do this sort of over and over again with the mind. Uh, so it's really that, that continuity of it that, that is very helpful, I think. Okay, so many layers to the question. So he's saying, uh, he feels like, well, maybe this, this path, sometimes it strikes him that this path, with a thought the middle way, but that uh, the path is oriented towards, you said middle class people, right? Or, Uh, okay. Mm. Right. Okay. Okay. So he wasn't talking about middle class financially. He was talking about emotional middle class, which is a new a new term for me. I do not know this this one before. Im- Okay, you made it up now, so I uh, coined the phrase right now. So basically you're saying, like, is this for people who are, um, like, you have to have a certain level of well-being to practice this, right? Is that kind of what you're asking? Uh, yeah, you do. <laughs> I mean, you do. And in that way, uh, 
I mean, every, everyone has experienced trauma in different ways, you could say, right? But uh, it's one of the reasons why, actually, you know, if they talk about like precious human birth. Like, and in the Buddha, I think I've come here and talked about realms before, right? I sound like a jag about realms before at one point. So, like hell realms and heaven realms and stuff. So, you know, there are all these hell realms which are considered places where it's like, you know, total torment of physical, of mental experience. And then there are these heaven realms that are like completely pleasant uh, and beatific and actually very like light, light filled bodies and all this stuff, right? And you'd think that maybe it was like the good place to be born in those heaven realms, but actually it's considered the human realm is a good place to be born to wake up because you have kind of the mix of pleasant and unpleasant. Because if it's too good, then you're just kind of like, oh yeah, it's good, I'm going to kick back and like you have no incentive to actually do any kind of like introspection or practice or, you know, nothing. You don't get enough dukkha to like kick you in the pants, right? But uh, in the hell realms, it's actually too hard, you know? You're, like, roiling in suffering all the time. It's really, you know, really hard to have, like, half a second to, like, get your head above the boiling pot of oil, really, you know, to uh, be present. And, um, you know, even within the human realm, we can say there are those different strata, too, right? Certainly, there's uh, people who experience incredible physical suffering, uh, mental suffering of different kinds, and... Uh, for some people, it's for some period of their life, and then they come out of it, and then they have to deal with the repercussions of that. For some people, they live their whole life in a you know war-torn country or uh, in a very difficult situation, right? Um, so yeah, it's really difficult to do. It's, it certainly is very difficult to do meditation practice, although not impossible, right? Under those circumstances. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's good to appreciate like our own circumstances, and then. In the you know classical Buddhist teachings, this isn't taught as much to uh, sort of American Buddhists, but it's that uh, yeah, if you want to like make it more likely that your conditions continue to be somewhat favorable, such that uh, you're not roiling in the hell realms, then practice actually acts of generosity. You know, practice acts of kindness. So this is teachings of karma, cause and effect. Like it's not just totally random, like how this all. Uh, plays out, although it's playing out over like millions and millions of lifetimes, right? Um, so yeah, it, it does require a certain level of like mental and physical well-being uh, to even be sitting here and have like the free space and mind and space to like do so. You know? And it's also considered you know very good uh, karma to encounter the teachings of Dharma right? and to be interested in that at the time that you uh, encounter them. And then to have the opportunity in their life, like the well-being to be able to do that. Um, and, you know, I used to hear that and, like, not totally get it. But now having taught a lot of retreats over time, I can see that, you know, if, um, you know, up at Spirit Rock, some of you have probably been there, you know, maybe there's, like, 100 people go on retreat or sign up for retreat. And always there's some people who fall off that, you know, little bit. And different things happen. You know, it's just life. Like, last time I taught a retreat, someone got in a car accident on the way to the retreat. Uh, or someone, their uh, parent dies, or they get very sick, or something like that. Right? So, you know, we always say things like, oh, you know, it's, it's precious, the opportunities to practice, like when you have the opportunity, and when the conditions come together to do so. Um, but it's, it's really true, you know, it's like you don't know, like, what's going to happen at all in this life. So, uh, it's good to appreciate, you know, whether or not you believe in what the causes and conditions are that led to that, to appreciate when you have those circumstances, and then Sort of use your time well. Right? So this is also, you know, one of the, the the more um, kind of obvious, but ones that we forget is this thing about like 
impermanence of our life. So uh, the days and nights are rapidly passing. How are we spending our time? It doesn't necessarily mean you have to meditate all the time, but just overall. So, like, how are we spending our time? You know, how are we training our mind? Uh, what are we spending our attention on in some way? Like, how are we treating people? You know, if we don't know if we're going to see them again, is that going to be the last thing they're going to remember? Is that like cranky email we sent them? You know, <laughs> something like that. Right? So it's good to keep that in mind. Right? So that, that that's one of the results of this. Keep calmly noting change. You know, you start to notice, like, oh yeah, you don't notice that uh, this could be the last time I see that person. Like, this could be the last time of this. Yeah. And it's not just about that something happening to that person. It's also something happening to this person, <laughs> even more critically for our behavior. Absolutely. Yeah. So this comment was, isn't the act of practicing itself improves your well-being? Yeah, totally. It does. And it's, it's I mean, self-awareness also is like a whole eightfold path. So whether or not you have the ability to sit quietly in meditation is like one aspect of cultivating uh, concentration and um, certain aspects of mind is a fairly refined uh, aspect. But even like paying attention to the precepts, to how we treat each other, like that's part of the path too. Uh, so even in a very difficult situation, you know, there are very inspiring stories about people in terrible circumstances, you know, in like concentration camps or like refugee camps or like, uh, you know, under conditions of slavery who just like, even though there's brutality all around, will actually exhibit this really beautiful act of generosity or kindness towards another person, you know. And it's so, it's so inspiring when, to, when that happens, you just see that happening, um, so that, too, is practicing the Dharma. You know, it doesn't have to be about meditation. Like that, too, about like, oh, I have like one tiny piece of bread and I'm going to give you a piece of it. You know, that's like a beautiful bodhisattvic act in that time, you know. So it's like each moment is this opportunity, you know, regardless of the circumstances. And um, we can see ourselves even in different circumstances. Like, how do we act when, when things start to get difficult? You know, when our own health is bad or, you know, we're cold or we're lost or something, you know. Uh, like, notice, like, oh, when do we start to, like, turn on people or, you know, start to lose it like that? And it's really helpful to practice during those times, like, oh, okay, yeah, it's easy to be generous or kind when I feel really comfortable and everyone's being nice to me and everything, but, like, okay, here's the challenge. It's like, I'm actually uncomfortable and, like, I don't know if I'm going to get another uh, piece of food for a little while or... Uh, I don't have anything to gain from, you know, giving this person directions or something or, you know, whatever. But it's like, oh, okay, how am I going to rise to that occasion in this case? You know, is it possible for me to exhibit, like, a little bit more uh, sense of compassion, generosity? So actually a friend of mine teaches some uh, Dharma class in... um, in uh, another state, and she says that she, she gives people, like, the basics of the, you know, path of uh, four foundations of mindfulness and she has already built in the class the last day she wants people to do an act of service and I thought that was so beautiful I was like that's part of the path that's part of the practice 
like your fifth class is like you have to go spend half a day doing something good for someone else for no good reason, right? <laughs> like they're not paying you and like you don't owe them something and uh, like practice doing that, you know, uh, see what that's like and then like report back on what happened, like what that was like for you. So that too is part of the path and a uh, beautiful part of the path. So it's not just meditation at all, you know, all these different ways in which we can uh, be cultivating our hearts, minds, serving each other. Yeah. All right, looks like it's about time then. So maybe we'll just sit together for a moment. So we can actually take a moment to appreciate our, our life, so you can feel the life force, however strong or weak or congested it may be. And appreciate the opportunity to connect with teachings of Dharma, of awakening. You can appreciate your own good qualities that have brought you here today, of all the different things you could be doing in a big city on a night like this. So we share the blessings from our practice with everyone who is suffering, with all those we know, with all those we don't know, and with all beings everywhere. So if you have a resolve for your practice that you'd like to take, you can also take that. May we all live in alignment with the truth of the way things are. So keep calmly knowing change. Thank you.